They were going to build a solar farm in uh, Wellington in England. And uh, they give their feedback. People were like, no, solar farm. And then I guess the council was like, yes, solar farm anyway. So there will be a 77,000 panel solar farm built. And China has invented like a very flexible, very cheap solar panel that can bend around objects and stuff. I'm thinking I could not only walk around with an umbrella on my head in the winter or when it's raining, but I could wear one in the summer when it's sunny and put solar panels on it and charge my phone. Exactly. And I'm pretty sure things like that already exist. I've seen videos. Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. My name is Jason. If you like the show, remember to subscribe. Today with me is Alex Schur. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Schur. Always so happy to be back. The global race to carbon neutrality has begun. One new idea, according to the BBC on May 23rd, is using car parks for mandatory solar energy farms. This keeps the cars cool while doubling the use of space for green energy. Quote, the French Senate recently approved legislation that makes it mandatory for all existing and new car parks with 80 or more spaces to be covered by solar panels. End quote. What's new in new energy? Let's take a look at what's hot in solar. What do you think, Alex? Summertime, it's endless solar energy. And I love this idea because I've actually seen prototypes of it when I was in the U.S. And this is over 10 years ago. What city was this that? This was in New York. It was uh, working with a small company. It was a specifically a solar energy company. They try to install solar panels all over the state. It's such a cool idea. And I'm glad that France has actually made it mandatory. So I was thinking about this because it doesn't go into the details of what it means to be a car park owner. So I'm in Lyon or wherever in France, and suddenly they just make a law that I'm suddenly an energy producer. When all I'd previously owned was a car park. So it's going to take investment on the behalf of the car park owner. They're going to have to go to the bank, take out a loan, install all this stuff and wait, you know, for however long before it pays itself off. So I think that's interesting. And it's definitely a planned economy. It's kind of like the government is getting into the economy, which I like and I think that's fine. But I'm wondering if you could ever do that as a mandatory kind of thing in the state of the United States or in the UK, where they're more laissez-faire about letting businesses basically do whatever they kind of want. Yeah, the business I was working with back then in the US, they were paying for places like car parks or buildings with really flat and open rooftops. They are paying to install and maintain all of the solar panels. So basically, they're renting the place to set up solar panels without paying rent. And in return, this place, the owner of whatever property they put the solar panels on, become the provider of electricity for their neighborhood. And that electricity has to be paid by people that are using it. And so that's how people who are allowing solar panels to be installed on established properties to claim their money back. I have so many more questions now that you've said that. I just the amount of questions that it has increased. So let's say I'm in New York City and uh, I own a car park and somebody comes to me and says, we want to rent from you the ability to solar panels on. We're going to sell it to the neighborhood. Does that mean that me, the car park owner and my little booth or whatever office I have, I get free electricity? I guess they have an arm that goes up and down. Do I get free electricity for my premises? Yes, at least for that company that I was working with. That's absolutely the business So that's model. cool. 
It's actually a winning deal. Mm. Well, I mean, if you're in France, I guess there might be companies that are trying. You know, that was Tesla's model. It just didn't pan out for whatever reason. Mm. People weren't interested. They wanted to (laughs) go to your home and say, oh, you want solar panels? Cool. We'll install them on your roof for free. You Mm. get free electricity. But then we get to use your home as essentially a power uh, grid for our own selling the electricity to your neighbors and stuff. And I guess it didn't really catch on for whatever reason, but it seemed like a really good idea. Uh And when I'm on the the HSR, the high speed rail from Shanghai to Beijing, I was filming the entire time for four hours. And I noticed that every single farmhouse and little brick building and every like apartment, they all had solar panels on top. Yes. That's why when I was in the U.S. and people were talking about solar panels, I'm like, what's the big deal? We've had this since we're little kids. You know, that solar panel water heater thing became popular in my childhood when I was probably 12, which is over 20 years ago, dating myself here again. Um, And I remember when they first had it, people were just putting it because some of my family relatives live in the rural area and they were just installing um, the solar water heater on top of the house and they install it at a certain angle to receive the maximum sun power so that they could always have hot water for shower or any other household use. I have another idea. I have no shame, by the way, about almost anything. So I was walking around with my wife. This is like a week ago. I was noticing I have to carry an umbrella. And what's even more aggravating is it's not that big. And Summer, uh, my wife, wants to squeeze under it, which squeezes me out a little bit. So I was like, why do I have to hold an umbrella? So I went on to JD and I ordered an umbrella hat. Not just one of those little touristy ones, but a giant one that sticks on your head like a hat and it spreads out like a whole meter. And like, okay, I don't have to use my hands to carry my umbrella. It's with the elastic headband, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh my God, I can't believe that thing had a comeback. It was a thing when I was a baby, when I was a little kid and we were trying to wear it, but it was very uncomfortable. So that thing just kind of left market. It just disappeared. And it came they were back making now. those tiny little ones that barely cover you at all. And I was like, no, I want a real one. And I... I ended up finding one. But now that we're talking about putting solar panels and everything, I read an article yeah. on, I think, Global Times recently. China has invented like a very flexible, very cheap solar panel that can bend around objects and stuff. I'm thinking I could not only walk around with an umbrella on my head in the winter or when it's raining, but I could wear one in the summer when it's sunny and put solar panels on it and charge my phone. Exactly. And I'm pretty sure things like that already exist. I've seen videos of uh, solar powered vests that also collect uh, sun, like solar power, right? And then it feeds into this little battery pack in your pocket. And then that could be used for it's basically an amazing device for surviving the wilderness for the wilderness for me is Beijing (laughs) (laughs) for Jason wilderness is any park where there's not like building you know when I was a kid solar panels were something only rich people had so like there was talk about solar panels and you saw them and stuff in the early 80s Mm. but they were really rare and so I was always as a kid I had a calculator which had that little solar strip right and you could power it from like the light in your home and stuff or just the sun I was like why can't this be everywhere and now I've grown up and I guess I'm beyond grown up, but now it's a reality. You, people are just putting solar panels on cars. People are putting solar panels on the sides of buildings that don't even receive as much sunlight. People are putting solar panels on rooftops and car parks. And there's the Undersecretary of the United Nations, Eric Solheim. 
he shows that some of the rivers in um, India, especially the canals where it's really hot, begun putting mm. solar panels over the top of these canals, which does two things. One, it maximizes space use. It does another thing. You can actually walk across it like a bridge. And another thing, it prevents evaporation. So you, so you could just put... I, we're entering in a whole new world where maybe fossil fuel technology is way on its way out because solar panels are very affordable now. Wow, that's killing many birds with one stone. Why are we killing birds all the time? I don't understand. People are always killing two birds in the bush. What? What? I mean, like sidetracking a little bit, this expression did exist in English, right? Because in Chinese, we have a very, very similar identical way of saying. I like to take things literally as a joke because I'm a dad joke age, you know, like bad jokes are funny to me. <laughs> I don't like complex humor. I like stupid in your face, dumb, literal jokes. I just get yeah, straight yeah, yeah. to the point. So I guess this is going to solve a lot of problems for the UK, which has 20% inflation right now. So if you could drive down the cost of energy for some of those folks, I'm sure that they would appreciate it. Yeah, I think we don't really understand the importance of energy unless you really get caught in a crisis, for example, like an outage or when it becomes really, really expensive and you get really worried to even turn on the AC in the summer. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. I know you're from China, I'm from America, I've lived in your country, you've lived in my country, but we're both kind of bougie when it comes to the global population. Because I've been reading a lot about the BRI, and one of the things that shocked me was in the year 2000, Laos, the country Laos, yeah. they had 40% electrification. That means only 40% of households had access to electricity. We're not even talking about 24-hour access. We're talking about any amount of access to electricity, any time of the day or night. Now, 2019, they had 100% electrification thanks to the installation of nine different dams. Oh my gosh. But this is not over. There are still nations around the world where people use generators or just don't have electricity at all. And it's hard to understand from my perspective, having always lived in a kind of posh situation, San Francisco, California, Beijing. And like, I've never lived in a place where we didn't have access to electricity. It's unimaginable. So the idea that we're finally able to start solving this problem on a global scale with all kinds of renewable energy sources is makes me happy because I don't want to live in a world where I'm better off from than everyone else. It makes me feel kind of bad. I don't think we need to feel bad, but we do need to be aware of what's going on outside of our little circle of life, you know, and then the fact that when we hear about news like really big development breakthrough on this type of new energy development, we need to understand why it is such a big thing so that at least when we're using the energy that we are lucky to have right now, just be a little bit mindful and don't try to blast your AC at 16 degrees Celsius all day because you don't have to. I was thinking about that. Right now, I don't overuse energy when I don't have to. I turn off objects. But I was thinking about it actually in the future, in, by 2050 or 2060, right, will be carbon neutral. Most of the global have become carbon neutral. At that point, when renewable energy is making so global warming is not the issue that it once was. Can I leave the AC on 24 hours a day? I would still is that say okay? that just for energy purposes. Let's try not to do that. And plus, <laughs> Grandma Alex has to turn off the lights. She yes, doesn't I know that spoken. we have solar panels. <laughs> I have spoken. I want us to... Here's the thing, Jason. Just when traveling last week, right, we went for a little film show into Gulangyu, which is a very beautiful island in Salmon. And it's a very famous, very loved travel destination for a lot. 
It's a film that one of our friends is making, and the film itself is very much about how to respect the natural environment on the island and how to be close to the ground. It's an art house kind of film, so it's very much about how you feel on set. You know, the actors are not really doing that kind of dramatic talking and fighting. It's really about okay, we're here in the a lot of the shoot was happening at night, so. We had to feel the quietness, the silence of the night on that island. That really amplifies other little things that you don't notice usually with all the hustling, bustling going on in the day, right? And then one of the scenes, we had to just like lie down on the grass, and that feeling of the kind of moist grass under you, and then the breeze that was blowing right above your face. It felt amazing. I don't think any AC, I don't think any air condition could create that kind of sensation that you feel in nature. I want us to appreciate nature. Grandma Alex <laughs> wants us to lay on the grass again. <laughs> Your grandchildren are going to have to fight you tooth and nail to leave the lights on. I'm scared. We don't have to save electricity anymore, Grandma Alex. <laughs> I'm just saying, love nature sometimes. And, you know, we're kind of all bound by all of these devices and household appliances. But that nature breeze feels so amazing, guys. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. Okay, so this is a BBC Wellington solar farm plans backed despite objections. So they were going to build a solar farm in uh, Wellington in England. And uh, they give their feedback. People are like, no, solar farm. And then I guess the council was like, yes, solar farm anyway. So there will be a 77,000 panel solar farm built in Wellington. Now, I think this is fantastic. I read all the statistics from every source you can even imagine about solar and wind. I think it's amazing. Now, it is true, and I like to brag about this, that China has built about four times as much renewable energy as any other country and most of the EU combined. It is important when I say that, then I get quiet and I don't tell everyone all the full details, but I'm going to tell you now. China's population is also three or four times the size of these other places. So that means that the US, the EU, and China are roughly equal in terms of per capita installations of renewable energy. So my point is not to say, oh, China, why aren't you beating everybody like I claim sometimes they are on Twitter? The point is that China and the EU and the United States, Canada, everyone's kind of neck in this global battle to install solar panels and become carbon neutral by 2050 or 2060 in different countries' cases. So it is that most of the developing and the developed world are, in fact, adding far more renewable energy than they are adding fossil fuel technology. I want to caveat this by saying a few things. One of the arguments that gets thrown out there is that China is still building. And I was talking to this guy, David Ferguson. He's written 20 books about this. He was telling me, China, yes, they are building more coal burning facilities. But these coal burning facilities are to phase out the existing old ancient technology. So Instead of burning just raw coal, they're burning like a gasified coal, which burns far, 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 far cleaner. So yes, China's adding more coal burning facilities to its energy architecture, but that's actually improving the quality of Chinese energy architecture and reducing the amount of fossil fuels, not increasing the amount of fossil fuels that China is adding to the atmosphere. And, you know, China and the United States are actually quite close per capita 
So both of them are defossilizing at a similar yeah, rate. Yeah, there's so much less use of coals. And like Jason said, even if they are, it's the word that you said, but in Chinese, it sounds like a, a beehive coal, you know, because it's shaped like that. And it's to improve, they put holes and then they made it so much lighter than kind of the really raw primitive form of coal so that more air goes through it when it's burning. So it produces more energy per square or whatever the measuring unit is. So there's a lot of measures that are being taken so that we could be more efficient when it comes to old energy sources that we can't change yet. Here's another thing that is controversial for some people. I don't think it's controversial for me. I'm going to say why. You know, please, if you disagree with me, because I'm about to say a lot of mm. controversial stuff, you can email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com to tell me all about the terrible person that I am. So one of the things that China has done added about five or six times as much hydropower as any other nation in the entire world. And not only has it done that, but it's also helping countries around the world do that. In the BRI, there's far more energy that China is helping other countries produce in hydropower than other forms of power. At least that was the case up until about 2021. I haven't read the newest reports for what's going on in the BRI. But what that means is China is able to produce energy by just damming and then they go down the river just a little bit more, build another dam, go down on the river a little bit more. And the reason this did not catch on in the United States is some kinds of environmentalists were like, oh, no, no, there's a frog here and it only exists here. So mm. we can't build a dam here or you're going to destroy this one variation of this species of frog that has blue dots or whatever in the you know, that specific case. I'm sorry. <laughs> my feeling is, and this is why you might have to email us. Sorry, if there's a special kind of frog that has more blue dots than the one in its neighboring habitat, buy blue frog with slightly more blue dots. We need that dam because... If we have global warming continue the trajectory that it was on 10 years ago, we're going to look at millions of people displaced from their communities and low-lying areas and islands. We're talking about entire civilizations being literally washed away by the ocean. And also those animals that live in those habitats will be washed away by the ocean as well. So yes, it is necessary for us to choose the lesser of a couple of evils here. And if it's necessary to dam a river every few miles, yeah. then that river be dammed. You know, I have a not so controversial example of similar cases as well, but I think it illustrates the same point that if you're going to uh, complain about me. As, don't forget to complain about Alex. As Jason was saying, oh, they'll love the story. <laughs> we were just talking to this Italian scholar who lives in China, which is always things like this just makes me happy when I say it. An Italian scholar that lives in China. And we were just having a beer and we were talking about all kinds of things. And he mentioned how some Italian citizens were opposing the wind power propellers, the big generators, because the government really wants to use that. Apparently, the Italian government knows that they have an abundant wind power resource that they could use to solve the energy crisis, kind of shift into clean and renewable energy. The opposition was just these giant windmills, <laughs> the big steel ones, the propeller. What do you call it? the exact term for it? I can't remember, but the big things that don't turn that fast, but they produce an insanely amount of electricity. People saying, don't put that there because that breaks the view. <laughs> I think they're beautiful. That's exactly what our Italian friend said. He was like, that thing, first off, looks amazing. And if you're not putting that there, you're putting a vineyard all over this country. What's the difference? If you've been to Shandong, they must have thousands of them. Because I was taking the high-speed rail from Yantai back to Beijing, and yeah. we were two hours in Shandong. 
shooting across the landscape. And there's just wind mills, wind power. I don't know what they're called either. They're everywhere. <laughs> but, you know, I also saw satellite pictures. Uh, there are a ton of them in Xinjiang. When I was in Xinjiang, I was there a few weeks ago, I saw a lot of solar panels spread out across the desert, but I didn't see with my own eyes a lot of wind power. But I know that from seeing satellite images and stuff, Google Earth, that there's a ton of wind as well. So China is using every kind of technology. Also, China's at the forefront of uh, fusion technology. Yeah. Fission is the nuclear reactors that we've had since like the 60s and 70s. And fusion is what they're working on in Paris and California and in China, where they're trying to create these tokamaks, different configurations to try to create a sustainable source of infinite sustainable source of pollutionless energy forever, which probably won't come into yeah. commercial use for 10 or 20 years. There's always a process. Yeah. You know, the sci-fi stuff right there. Yeah, it happens. Sci-fi stuff happens. Sci-fi stuff does happen. Jules Verne, he was writing about rockets to the moon in the 1850s. And then 100 and years hey, later. And hey, look at us now. Oh, yeah. yeah, now we can do that. Well, apparently not as well as we once could, but we're getting back to that. So this is yes. from Bloomberg <laughs> NEF. China's solar ambitions get an upgrade. And so this is one of the things I love about China. Actually, it says we're going to do something. And then it always does it way faster. So Xi Jinping in 2022, he said that they were going to be roughly peak carbon by 2030. And so China's going to beat that. And their new forecast for installed each year's installed renewable energy will be close to 260 gigawatts by 2030, which means by 2028 or something, China will reach peak carbon. That doesn't mean carbon neutrality. It means there will be no more wow. increases in the amount of fossil fuels that are being used in China. And what's important to keep in mind, it's always context with this kind of stuff, is that China is the world's factory. So for China to reach fossil fuel peak by 2027 or 2028 mm. means a lot less fossil fuels in the entire world, not just in China. We all share this environment. And if you want to buy cups at Starbucks that say Tulsa, when you go to Tulsa, you're probably getting those made in China. It's still kind of true, even though China is trying to shift away from the world's factory. But still, like I just said, it's always a process. So most of the stuff that you'll see are probably still made in China. Well, I just had 50 shirts that say the bridge. Made oh, I had that conversation with Summer yesterday. because Oh, like, did you? Yeah. They just arrived. Oh she's going to be home soon and I've hidden them all. So when she gets home, she's going to say, where are the shirts? And I'm wearing one. And I'm going to say, oh, they didn't come. <laughs> we <We'll> promise <laughs> you will post a photo of us wearing our Dear The Bridge podcast swags and post it on social media. So you'll all want to get one. We hopefully. will be distributing them pretty soon. And we'll let you guys know how to get one. Okay, this is another one. NPR org 2003, May 17th. China dominates the solar power industry. The EU wants to change that. So this article written by Rob Schmitz is a basically that, you know, a lot of people knew that up until about 2012, 2013, Germany was a huge producer of solar panels and China jumped into the market. And because of its massive logistics network and China being the factory of the world, it was able to outcompete Germany pretty quickly. But Germany is like, OK, this market is about to explode, even if we only get like five or 10 or 15 percent of the market back. It's still worth it, which I think is fantastic, because I think that everyone who can be participating and helping solve this problem for all humanity should be engaged in this. So I very much welcome Germany jumping back in the game and printing solar panels again. 
A lot of the highest technology for solar comes from China and the United States, but Germany's up there in terms of its economic prowess and its ability to manufacture things, and everyone should be joining. It's not about who's going to be the sole winner of this whole solar power race. It's about what we can do together、mm. to change this whole energy. Absolutely.、Game. So, Alex, I don't think you have a car. Is that right? No, I don't. I not just only not have a car. I also don't have a driver's license. Oh. Is that something you're ever planning on changing? <laughs> I am actually, indeed, going to plan to change that this year. So hopefully, I'll get a driver's license by the end of this year. So you have to take those classes for like a month. <laughs> yes, or two? I'm very nervous about that. I am not very confident <laughs> about how good of a driver I will become. You know, the problem is after you've witnessed so many other people driving, you've learned to judge people on how good or bad they are, even though you don't know how to drive. And I'm really scared that I'm going to become every single bad driver that I have in my head when I sit in front of the <laughs> I、wheel. don't know. I know. I have zero confidence when it comes to that. But we'll see. Don't give、time. Alex the keys. Did you see what she did last time? <laughs> oh yeah. You're listening to the bridge. Well, I used to live in a, in the Central Valley of California, and in the Central Valley, it's not possible to not have a car. I guess it's possible. I shouldn't say that. You can like take the bus everywhere, but you're not going to be able to make it. Yeah.、Work. The bus from Oakdale to Modesto, for example, I think it runs like three times a day, so you're just doomed because everything is really spread out. So I had a car. Eventually, I decided I'm moving to San Francisco, and I moved there around 18 or 19 years old. And I was like, okay, I don't need a car, so I gave my brother the keys to my car. I was like, here you go. Two more years of payment, and it's yours. You can just keep it. I didn't want any money or anything, so he took it gladly. It was brand new, practically. And I moved to San Francisco, and in San Francisco, you can exist with no car. There's lots of buses. You have BART. You have Muni. You have all kinds of other rail and other whatever. You can ride a bicycle around or walk. It's not that big of a city, actually. So since then, I've always lived in larger and larger cities. I moved from San Francisco to Korea to Beijing. See,、so、I was like, okay, I still don't need a car, but now there is a new kind of car that is literally coming out now. I've only heard about it since I think yesterday or the day before. This is cutting-edge technology that only China has. It is a sodium-powered car. What? It is a new form of battery based on sodium, and you can drive、sodium. it for about 250 to 300 kilometers before it needs to be recharged, which is well enough for me to like drive to nearby and come back or something. Like or just drive and then recharge it and drive. So I wasn't a huge supporter of companies like Tesla because the batteries are made from very toxic things, and we still don't know how, exactly how to recycle、uh -huh. all of that technology. So I was like, electric cars, okay, but still very polluting. But now this new technology that China is releasing.、Yeah. Doesn't really pollute. Now, yes, manufacturing all of the steel and taking it out of the mountain, processing it, and turning it into a car initially is a bit of a drain on the environment. But after the car exists, a lot of that can be recycled. And yes, that takes energy in the future if I need whatever. But it's far less impactful because you don't、mm. have things like lithium. You're not adding fossil fuels to the air. And if China is making、yeah. a lot of that energy with renewable sources like solar and、yeah. hydro and wind, then even the power that's going into that sodium battery 
is coming from renewable sources. So it's increasingly okay with me to have a car. That's like a perfect idea. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard or read articles about people saying if these cars are solar power driven or if it's using solar power batteries or whatever, it's not going to have the same force to push it to go as fast as gas fueled car. Considering the type of driver I'm going to be, I think that's a better option for me and for other people. It doesn't go that fast. Amazing. At least it's way faster than when I walk and that's all I need. I don't need to race in it. I want to say this kind of joke. So I read about sodium batteries day before yesterday. Three different companies in China are going to start rolling out new cars with sodium batteries. This is fantastic. Like an hour later, I read Elon Musk will come to China this week. (laughs) I was like, hmm, connection? (laughs) I don't know. Oh, but I forgot if I've mentioned this on the show before, but I did read about Elon Musk You know, regardless of everything that guy's saying or doing, you know, he's a very mixed bag, but they're doing one thing where they're opening up their charging stations to all kinds of EVs, even to their Chinese competitors. Basically, as long as you're an electric vehicle and you have to, again, I have never owned any electric vehicle. I don't know if there's a difference like how we have USB-C or lightning bolt or USB. I don't know if there's a difference, but basically, as long as your car can be charged at a charging station, that the same with the Tesla one, you can go charge there. It's no longer just Tesla only. And even though they're in the central business districts, they're a little bit more expensive. I imagine that is going to be a lot more convenient for EV owners in China to just be able to charge their car just in case they're running out of battery. And that is going to in return boost the popularity of EVs even more. I want to talk about Elon as long as we're talking about Elon. And I know that he's a controversial figure for a lot of people, and I don't even remember the reasons why. (laughs) One thing that I think is really cool about the way his companies operate is that they don't patent things, which I think is bizarre because I grew up in America where everything is like, no, 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 I made this. (laughs) But he gave a speech that I watched where he was talking about, no, if someone else can do it better and faster, then I'm more happy for them to do it. So we think we can do it better and faster than you. And that's why we're doing it. So if you want to try to go and make your own version of space starship, you know, here are the designs. Good luck. (laughs) Like it's going to be incredibly challenging for anyone to try and do that. So what he equates patenting things is like sitting on the back of a ship that's moving forward and slowly throwing seismic charges off the back to make sure no one can follow you. He says that's not how technology should work, in his opinion. It should be like whoever can do it better and faster should be able to go do it better and faster. And Mm -hmm. that's been kind of the model for Tesla and the model for his boring company and the model for a lot of his other companies is they were like first to market. They figured out how they're going to fit themselves in their own niche and they grew and developed within that niche. Now, clearly, I don't want to talk too much about Twitter But I heard the valuation of Twitter has gone down dramatically. But, you know, it's not like a different kind of company because he can always just fix it. It's not like Tesla, where if it loses a whole bunch of value, stockholders sell and stuff. He owns Twitter. So no one can just sell it. He can just keep saying, "Okay, whatever. It's not valued as much. It doesn't matter. Or he can change how it operates in the future. So I'll give it back to the people who created it. (laughs) That's never going to happen. It's that kind of open source mentality that is going to really advance the technology that we are currently being able to see because we are at that stage where it's hard. Information just flows infinitely. Well, I want to ask you a question. This is a brainstorm question. This is okay. Okay. You're in seventh grade and your teacher has asked you, Uh, where are all the places in civilization that we haven't yet added a lot of solar panels or solar technology that we could? 
Oh, wow. I feel like I should have really good answers for this. I'll go first. China has and the United States have a one single highway each, which was kind of like a prototype highway where the highway itself is a solar panel. And so the highway is this little bit special so that it can have cars and big trucks on it and stuff. But it is a solar panel. In the future, China hopes to make, this is like 80 years down the line future, we're talking the future future. They want to make it so your electric car driving along highways all over China is charging while you drive. Oh, I've heard that. And that sounds like an amazing idea. Yeah, that's not going to be by 2030 or something, but it's something your grandchildren might have. Oh, my God. I wish I could live until that happens. What I was thinking was a little bit smaller because I've mentioned before when I said when we do recording for this show, I sit in my living room and I look outside a window. There's a giant playground you know, of the school. Hmm. And I'm thinking if we could put not just playground, but all of the stadiums, at least that'll be good enough for the electricity that the stadium is going to use. Maybe. I don't know. I guess the stadium doesn't actually use a lot of electricity because they're mostly just sitting in chairs watching people kick a ball around, right? Nah, but you know, when they have games at night, it's a lot of lights and there's that indoor space where it has to all of the ACs blasting the whole time and other facilities that the athletes need to use all of that. But it could be a community electricity center Hmm. as well. Yeah. You could have a sodium battery and then during the day it charges and at night then you put solar panels on all of the athletes' helmets. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Jason. I see you're getting really, really imaginative after coming back from a conference. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. thinking you know those huge uh blades on wind farms on the thing the gizmos right why not have those be solar panels simultaneously at the same time so like if it spins it's uh using wind and if it doesn't or if it's spinning and it's sunny oh my gosh (laughs) this is crazy (laughs) if they could even innovate on materials could be used as solar panels that could be something to work on alex's new really hip clothes that are a little imagine if it rains and you're electrocuted (laughs) (laughs) i was no i was talking to this guy his his name is um karakova sir gilbert von karakova he is actually knighted in belgium he's been living in china for 40 years as of about a week ago Mm. and he was talking to me on the phone recently recently mm-hmm. and he was on his way he's a huge business magnate who helps companies come in and out of china and he flew to guangzhou recently where there mm-hmm. is a company i guess it's one of many it's not like the only company that does this that makes mm. uh two ply windows for apartment complexes that are completely transparent just like your normal glass window but are also solar panels. That's exactly what I was trying to say. That would be perfect. Yeah. All of these glasses we use on all the architecture could all be solar panels. Yeah. You just walk over to your window and plug your phone in. <laughs> just put my phone against the window and it charges my phone. <laughs> oh, that's cool. You know, I love those things where you walk into the restaurant and just put your phone on top of the little thing and it just starts charging. Oh, the wireless charging part. Yeah. I love those too. My, my wife and I, we both have Xiaomi uh. and there's a feature where we can both put push a button inside and then we can put them together and whichever one has the largest charge begins charging, sharing its oh, charge. Huawei with the other does phone. it too. That's why my mom hates it. Cause I always, 
always forget to charge my phone. If you hang out with me in real life, just look at my phone at any given time. It'll definitely have no more than 20% battery. Most of the time it's under 10%. And so whenever I see my mom, I just grab her Huawei phone because Huawei phone charges my iPhone. Mm. Oh, really? Like, yeah, because iPhone has the wireless charging thing built inside. It's just that as long as it's the same charging mechanism that's built in Huawei and Xiaomi phones with the iPhone product of that little pad that you put your phone on and it charges your phone, right? I just put my mom's Huawei's back to my iPhone's back mm. and then it charges my iPhone. You know what's really cool? I was in Xinjiang. Where was I? I was in Hotan in a hotel. And I went into the room mm. and there was a little pad right next to the bed. You just put your phone on it. Boom. And just starts charging. And what's really cool is everyone in the whole world, and I don't think anyone does this, is supposed to charge to 100% and unplug. But I just leave it charging all night and wake up in the morning and unplug it like everyone else, I'm assuming. Mm. But this automatically sense that your phone has stopped charging and turn off. Oh. So it's like, oh, 100% and deactivates. That's cool. Is that what all phones do now? I can't, I don't really know. I guess iPhone doesn't do that as long as it's still plugged in. Even if it's 100%, it still says charging. Yeah, mine says charging. But mine's a little bit older. I've been hanging on to this phone for a couple of years, trying to show my wife she doesn't need a new phone every six months. It doesn't work. It just means that Jason has really old phones. <laughs> I was just about to say, probably didn't. I, I've been trying this strategy for five years, but it's not having an impact. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work in the future either. I'm sorry to break it to you. Airplanes, you could just coat those in solar panels. Oh, because they're so close to the sun. I guess they're made out of very special materials because, you know, China has its own airplane, the C-919. Yes, that just went uh, commercial last week, right? I think it was flying five days ago for the first time. Andy Borham was on the second flight. And the reason I know that, he posted it everywhere. But apparently there was a flight for government officials and engineers and people who made the plane. But the first commercial flight, Andy was... Nice. So he has a little paper cup, apparently. He posted it on Twitter that says, you know, first Chinese C-19 flight or whatever. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, we came back from Salmon. We just wanted to be a little bougie, so we upgraded to business class. And it was such an amazing... Oh, my business (laughs) It was such an amazing... A little bougie. A little bougie. You know, we were just... Because we were so tired from, you know, running around the island for five days. And we don't want to go all the way back to row 51. So we're like, you know what? Let's upgrade. And boy, was it an amazing experience. I wonder what it was like to be on C919. I believe that's the first airplane that was made completely within China, right? Commercial. Well, it's completely manufactured inside China, but the parts are from China, the United States, Germany, all around the world. Like most things, it's made with Mm. just like Boeing's, you know, 747. It's not just American parts, parts from all over the world. This uh, indigenously made C919 is also made with parts from all over the world, from the best manufacturers of commercial airline parts. I do want to say something about you being in business class because I'd never been to business class still. Oh, ask me. I'll give you the answers. Oh, no, no. I want to tell a story. I was in Urumqi uh-huh. and I was flying to Hotan and they were like, do you want to upgrade? It's only a hundred and something. I was like, yeah, okay. So they upgraded me to first class, my first class experience. And I was feeling bougie and I sat down and I was like, haha, mm-hmm. it's the same because it's the same seat on the 737 as it was back there. All I got was an extra bottle water and mint but then there was a curtain in front of me and in front of me were the business class people and they had the big seat and we didn't even have we were flying for two hours there was no meal so i could hear 
I swear, mm. forks and cutlery touching porcelain. And I was like, oh, my God, those bougie bastards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was one of those bougie bastards. <laughs> so you're just first class is just close enough to business class to know that you're still second. Yeah, class. <laughs> like I'm right there just so you know that you're not the best on this, on this plane. But the plane we took only had the business <laughs> class. It didn't have first class. So we were the first class on our flight. Here's another one. Airports. Now, maybe not the tarmac itself, because... You would need that to be made out of sturdy stuff True. for airplanes landing. But you got all that space on the side that's just like dirt usually. You could cover that. Oh, wait, maybe that's going to be shiny and blind the pilots. Never mind. <laughs> but imagine all of the, what do you call that? The terminal buildings themselves. Because a lot of them mm. are glass looking anyways already, right? If they could use mm. a material that could converge uh, solar power into electricity, then hey, problem not solved, but alleviated a little bit. Well, one of the things China has is they have these huge solar farms everywhere. And I've been reading about how they integrate them with the landscape. So they'll often go to the edge of deserts where they're already doing uh, afforestation. They're building, yeah. they're growing trees into the desert to make the desert smaller. I've actually seen it now in a couple of places in Xinjiang. Yeah. But... What's really cool is some of those places you can build solar panels elevated off the ground 10 meters or something or five or 10 meters. And you can build like acres and, mm -hmm. acres and acres and acres and acres of solar panels that are slightly separated from one another. And what you get is yeah. finally just a little bit shady underneath enough that vegetation takes off. And so they yeah. plant all this vegetation underneath yeah. And then they also put sheep and goats there to eat the vegetation down and keep it at a certain level. So you end up with afforestation and yeah. solar panels and smaller deserts and animal farms all in the same place. Oh, I have another idea. This is very specific to my mm. hometown in Dongbei, right? Dongbei, the entire northeast mm, part of mm. China, is known for having what we call the dark soil, the black soil, which is very fertile and it produces a lot of crops mm, and grains. Mm. But in the past uh, few decades, three or four decades, the salinization, like it's become saline and alkaline kind of uh, soil. Um, there's so much, the area is getting bigger and bigger, and there's really nothing you can do to reverse that into fertile soil. And so you can just basically just leave that, all of that uh, salinized land for nothing. Why don't we just put, cover those salinized land with solar panels? And if it's not being exposed under the sun, maybe it'll reverse something, or maybe it'll become something else that we can do with it. And then on top of that, we could produce electricity and power with the solar panels. This is more of like, let's do this. We know at least there's one benefit that we're sure of that's going to come out of this. And then the other benefits that we don't know, we'll just see because this is better than nothing. Yeah, well, there was a uh, mine somewhere in China. I forget the name of it. I watched the footage on uh, Twitter and YouTube. They had a mine to harvest granite or something, and they created an artificial lake, mm -hmm. kind of almost an accident. So there's an artificial lake in somewhere in uh, in China, and they just said, oh, well, you know, why don't we just put solar panels all across the top of this lake? So they brought solar panels out and like these floating buoys and they just pushed them out there connected by electricity. Now the lake is like 90% covered in solar panels, but they're producing electricity and preventing the water from evaporating. So there are these innovative solutions where there's land or water in some cases that isn't really doing anything. And it's like, well, you know, one of the things I keep thinking about, there's a little bit of land adjacent to all the high speed rail. 
just not that much, you know, a few meters on either side of the rail. And you cannot use it for anything else. And there's barbed wire. So animals and don't jump in there and get in the way and stuff. So there's 42,000 kilometers of high speed rail in China. Why not use some of those adjacent areas to just put solar panels? That's a great idea as well. Or maybe that when the high speed rail like line goes by 350 kilometers an hour, it the pressure from the train is too great or but something. The, I don't know. Maybe there's a reason yeah. it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> That's we true. We need engineers. Oh, but just speaking of yeah, but just speaking of the high speed train, uh, just very randomly because we were talking about you know wind power earlier, right? In my hometown in Jilin Province, there's also a lot of those as well. And whenever they appear, it's just so fascinating because everything's moving. Everything that's closer to the train. It's a blur because the train is moving so fast. But these giant um, propeller things, they're just standing in the field far away. But you could still tell that they are gigantic and they're moving so slow. And it's such a weird sense of this contrasting views of what's close to you and what's in the distance. And you're just like, oh, my God, they're so magnificent. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. I just I want to put a little more context in there. Why are we talking about this? Why is this so important right now? Well, a lot of countries in the last few years have taken up pledges, whether they be to international institutions or that they just made their own pledges, like in China's case. So the UK has 15 gigawatts of solar capacity. That means it doesn't produce 15 gigawatts all the time, can maximally produce 15 gigawatts if everything is operating at capacity. But the UK requires to meet its own pledge of zero target, its own net zero target. By 2030, it requires 40 gigawatts, which means they need more than double the amount of current solar capacity. So that's just capacity. So they probably really need to be shooting for like 45 gigawatts because some of that capacity isn't working. Sometimes you may be driving by a, a wind park, for example, and you see notice that some of the turbines are not turning. So that means that you're not at capacity. You're at less than capacity. So in order for the UK to meet its net zero target, it's going to need more than 40 gigawatts of total capacity by 2030. And that's why Germany's getting in on the game. And that's why China is able to export solar PV technology all over the world. China is the leader in every part of the PV process. So if you have solar panels in your country and your Sudan, for example, you're turning to China because China literally sells the cheapest, the most affordable, and the highest volume of solar PV technology of any country in the world currently. Mm, and there's also just one piece of news that I saw, I believe, on Xinhua, China Daily. It adds to what Jason is saying that very recently, about a week ago, China basically made a breakthrough on how efficient the solar cell modules could be. The company called Triumph Science and Technology Group they announced last week that their photoelectric conversion efficiency of this thing called, I'm not going to read the whole name, it's called CIGS, Solar Cell Module, manufactured by its affiliate, registered a world record of 20.3%. So basically, before this, the whole world is just struggling below or like approaching 20% of conversion efficiency. And this company, this Chinese company, just pushed it over to 203 
percent um, conversion efficiency. And this is not just China. So the company, the module was manufactured by German based company. This German based company, it's an affiliate with the Chinese Building Material Groups Research Institutes. So even though we're saying there's like, you know, Germany was kind of dominating the market. Now we're working together and we've made a huge breakthrough. And then this is a building material, you know, kind of a glass module. So maybe everything that I just imagined will happen in the near future. Hopefully all of our windows could just be I could just charge my phone on my window in five years. They even have newer technology that are kind of like solar paints and things, too. So you Mm. can actually paint on this is not efficient so you're talking about the highest efficiency solar technology is completely different but there are films and paints and things that are also able to convert energy so they're very much less efficient but imagine you are a a magnate produces buildings in china like gajoba or something and you are building 500 apartment complexes next year you could literally put solar panels on every single one of those by just painting. Exactly. Them. That is an amazing idea. And of course, if, if you go with these uh, solar panel windows, you could basically have an entirely solar building on the outside. Yeah. Now, I don't imagine they're going to pass those savings on to the apartment complex dwellers. <laughs> I mean, if it does nothing, I just feel like if it does nothing to affect my life in that apartment, then why do I care whether my window is a solar power or not? Well, what's interesting is there was a windfall in Chengdu. Someone sent this to me. They were like, hey, check this out. So I looked into this. In Chengdu, there was an increase of the amount of water going through dams. And so the government sent out a letter to everybody, an e-letter. I guess it came to their like uh, inbox on their phone, letting them know that they were going to get like a very small percentage lower electricity bill per watt used. So that's really interesting to me because in China, if the local utility is saving money because they're able to produce more green energy more efficiently, they pass the savings on to the consumer. In the United States, there's no way they're going to let you pay less. <laughs> they're just going to... We save it, we yeah, keep Yeah, they're going to be like, oh, wow, the CEO is going to get a new G6. do <laughs> 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 You know, every time I send you a message that I think is funny in my head, I say to do. Oh, well, I'll, now I'll start to hear that as well. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you're a comedian and I send you my dad jokes. So in my head, there's a do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is making me feel very optimistic about the future because we are looking. I, you know, I can't wait to be living 10 years in the future and be living in a world where we're not just heading towards peak carbon globally, but we're headed down and we're reducing the amount of fossil fuels actively around the world that are being added to the atmosphere. And there's increasing sense of hope. And I think China is a huge part of that. Thank you so much for joining the show today, Alex. And if you enjoyed this show, don't forget to subscribe. I hope you liked our talks today as well. And thank you, Jason, for picking such an interesting and important topic. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.